Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Melissa Bauman tells a story about her mother and sharing treats. Hi. So, I grew up in Colorado in a trailer that probably could have comfortably slept five people. So naturally, we crammed in nine. Seven kids, two adults, one very unruly, stinky old English sheepdog. We were cold and wet and hungry in a way that makes my stomach hurt to remember. There just weren't enough blankets or shoes or food to go around. And when you're trying to feed that many people on two minimum, well, two very small salaries, you have to get really clever about where you're spending your money and how you're spending your money. And my mom was batshit crazy. (laughs) She did this one thing really well. She could wring a dollar out of a dime. She could make an amazing meal using very few ingredients, having spent very little money. And it would be delicious satisfying, almost comforting, which is weird because comforting was not her brand. And one of the ways that she could pull off this budgetary magic trick was once a week she would go to the market, she'd drive into town and go to the market, there was only one, and she'd pull around the back and she'd collect up any foods that had been removed from the shelves that day at various spoil points. And then she would take them home and shove them into the freezer. And this stops the spoilage, as long as they stay frozen. The challenge arises when you attempt to thaw these foods. And some foods went from looks delicious frozen to taste delicious thawed without any issue. But some foods just seemed to defy science. And they would go from looks delicious frozen to, oh my god, what is that? So, it was kind of in my best interest just to leave things frozen. And then it wasn't a giant leap to think, hey, you know what? Some things just actually taste better frozen. And then it really wasn't a big leap from there to think that some foods are actually meant to be consumed frozen. Like milk, for example. So the first time I went to a friend's house, and she reached into the refrigerator and pulled out a container and squeezed it and poured it onto her cereal? What's the, what the shit is that? I don't know what kind of sorcery you're practicing over there, but at my house, we take that box out of the freezer and we put it on the counter, we flip it on its side and we stick a knife in it and we hack it open and then we shovel out those, those milk shards into a bowl. <laughs> which may or may not contain any cereal. Sometimes you just take your frozen toast and you drag it through the icy flex. So I get, like looking back, I I concede that this was at best weird, right? And at worst, nutritionally dicey. But as my sons like to say, the best spice is hunger. 
And when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, if it's coming, you eat that spicy shit. And you eat it joyfully. So I probably should have told you before, I grew up in a really wealthy town. Really wealthy. You might have heard of it. Cute little ski town called Aspen, Colorado. It wasn't exactly the haven for the rich and famous that it is now. It was more like hippie Aspen when I was there. But really, pretty, pretty well-heeled hippies. Um, and there wasn't, we lived down valley with the poor folk, by the way. Um, there wasn't a lot of competition for resources. You know, there wasn't a homeless population that I was aware of. There was no soup kitchen. So there really, we were kind of under the radar, my family and I. I wasn't really even cognizant of our situation and how dire it was. And I had no reason to believe that anybody else was cognizant of our situation or how dire it was until eighth grade. And that was the first year of the presidential physical fitness campaign for our school. And in order to determine our baseline, they had everybody, you know, they had to weigh us and measure us and give us some fitness tests. And so with the rest of my classmates, I stood in line and I stepped up next to the scale and they swung that bar out and I was four feet, 11 inches, which is right, right about shoulder height. And then I stepped on the scale and weighed in at a whopping 42 pounds, which by today's standards would have put me in a car seat. And the school freaked right the fuck out. They sent me to the nurse's office and they made me lie down and they put a compress on my head and they were like, oh my God, you're dying of something other than hunger. And they called my mom. And my mom was fucking furious, man. She was livid. I had outed her and brought shame to the family as if it wasn't painfully obvious what was going on. But the school's response to that was they invited me to be the very first participant just established that very minute free lunch program. Yeah. <laughs> and so every day I got to go to the office and they would give me a ticket for a free lunch. And free lunch, by any standards, is good lunch. But free lunch in a rich kid's school, uh, yeah, that's real good lunch. I like that program a whole lot. So after that, after that hullabaloo died down, we slipped right back under the radar. And again, because there wasn't really like a lot of competition for what had been kicked out of the back of the store, we could pretty much just cherry pick any item you know, that was back there. It was all fair game. And this was true of just about every item inside the store except for one. There were never any snack cakes. And this is because snack cakes had their own procedure. Snack cakes would sit on the full price shelf until about a week before their expiration date. And then they would get moved to the reduced price shelf. And if they still didn't sell, now we're like a week past the expiration date. If they still didn't sell, they'd be moved to the extra reduced price shelf. And then if they still didn't sell, they'd get picked up and moved to the end cap, you know that impulse buy where they're marked down to like really, really reduced price? And if they still didn't sell, now we're like three weeks to a month past the expiration date, they'd get boxed up and taken to the back of the store to await pickup by the hostess snack cake man. And the snack cake man came around once a month and he would collect up 
the, the unsold cakes, and he would take them to the day-old day old, uh, bake shop, where they would be sold for a super, super, super reduced price. Well, we, we didn't have the money for even like the super, super, super reduced price. But my mom, man, God bless her little chocolate-dipped heart. She was a raging alcoholic. <laughs> with, a, with a ferocious sweet tooth. And those two demons combined to create a hellion that was not going to be denied her snack cakes. She was going to have to make a deal with the devil dogs. Once a month, she would go into town for a rendezvous with Hostess. Now, to make this happen, I like to believe she told him the truth that she had seven malnourished kids at home, that we were poor, that we didn't stand a snowball's chance of getting a snowball, or any other treat for that matter. But she was a masterful liar with just a slight grip on reality. So that scenario just doesn't seem all that likely to me. My B choice for scenarios is that once a month she would drive into town in the family wagon to a predetermined location which was not the market and she'd pull up and she'd get out of that car and she'd go around with her cigarette pants and her cute little crop top with her frosted hair and her frosted lipstick and she'd pop open that hatch and say what you got for me sweet cheeks And Hostess, he'd get out of that big old bread roll truck and he'd come around and he'd give her the (laughs) ho-hos. Sometimes, also the (laughs) ding-dongs. And sometimes, if it was extra special, the zingers. So since she'd gone to all the trouble of going into town and making the buy, I think she felt entitled to her cut up front. So on the way home, you know, she'd help herself to a couple dozen. And then she'd bring the rest inside, and we'd line up like junkies at a fucking methadone clinic for our sweets. And there's nine of us, and I'm the least popular, so I'm in the back of the line. I didn't always get a cake. And this really only served to fuel my obsession with this greasy nemesis. So in my late teens into my 20s, I ate shit. I mean, I don't know, maybe I thought I could fill that hole in my heart and in my spirit with cupcakes, which (laughs) totally seemed like a legit idea until I gained 80 pounds, and then it wasn't my favorite. (laughs) I didn't like that plan so much anymore. And I'd like to believe, as an adult, I've learned to treat my body like a temple, but really, it's more like a pawn shop. (laughs) 
It's actually challenging for me to remember that my refrigerator is perfectly engineered for cold storage, that I can buy just what I need when I need it. I don't have to buy everything that I see and stuff it into the refrigerator or the freezer. That if I run out of food, I can go back to the store and I can walk in through the front door. Winter is coming. (laughs) But I have a coat. And I have boots. And I have socks. Actually, I have more than one pair. The hardest lesson to learn or unlearn is the one that extends far outside of my kitchen. And that is this idea that I don't have to take everyone else's cast-offs or leftovers or hand-me-downs or throwaways. That if I want the best or if I want first pick, all I have to do is put down this baggage and step up and extend my hand and ask. Now, I'm going to walk on back to the wiener hole. (laughs) I'm going to extend my hand, and I'm going to ask someone to put snack cake in it. (laughs) And if any of you want to join me, you are more than welcome. I'll even treat. But I get first pick. Melissa Bauman sharing her story about anticipating more out of life. Thanks, Melissa, for sharing your story. If you'd like to join the podcast or check out the live show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find our online submission and contact forms, a list of upcoming shows, and more storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Alive.